every time I start to step off the grid with nothing in front of me except wilderness, my heart beats. It is a profound feeling uh, when you trek or travel and do it alone, do it solo. And that's what today's podcast is all about, the sensations and the safety of solo travel. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. And the topic is on my mind because in just a couple of days here, I am going to click on my backcountry skis, click the pull sled behind me, and head out into Minnesota's nowhere, the Boundary Waters. During winter months, that can be a test uh, of both mind and body. And so I want to talk today a little bit about the risk-reward of solo travel. And I thought, who better to talk to than the guru? Uh, Dan Cook, for those of you who um, have heard the name, Dan is a lifelong traveler and paddler. He's also the proprietor of CCS, Cook Custom Sewing. And I always tell the story, when I was a little guy traveling through the Boundary Waters, there were always these colorful packs and bags that uh, you would periodically pass in the portages, and it was all Dan's gear. And I was always... uh, Kicked off as a kid because it was way too nice and way too expensive for me. I was buying my backpacks at an outlet store called Banks back in those days. But Dan, uh, how's life? What's new? Life is good. Just uh, living the dream, you know. <laughs> um, hanging out here and sewing right now. Well, it's funny because I got a text from you earlier today, um, and it said trip planning. And there's this picture of, I presume it's a wall of your house, and there are little maps and informational bits just strewn across the wall. It's like 10 feet across. You are planning yet another of your solo trips, this time where? Uh, this is planning for a trip in Alaska, uh, in the Brooks, starting in the Brooks Range and ending up at the Kotzebue Sound. Which is not a simple trip. It's going to include hauling portable boats, scaling mountains, fighting bugs, fighting, not fighting, but protecting against wild critters. I mean, just all the above, right? Yeah, hopefully not fighting too many bugs. <laughs> <laughs> You're so good at it. You have a history. So you have literally traveled with people and also solo all over the dang planet. You've made a life of it. How did this all come to be? I mean, for those who have never seen Dan, he looks a little bit like Santa Claus at at outdoor events. He's the one guy you always notice because he's got this big bushy white hair on top and this epically white long beard. Like you're very easy to pick out of a crowd, but long before all that stuff existed, when you were just a, little guy how did where did this wanderlust come from i've been asked that a few times and you keep going back to different events and stuff of where you think it came from and it may go back to reading the book uh, my side of the mountain uh it's a classic where 
kid from New York kind of goes and lives in a hollowed out oak tree. (laughs) You know, it's kind of your getaway from life. And maybe that's where it started. I don't know. But, you know, then it was summer camp and family camping adventures and then working at camps. It all led up to it. Do you remember your first true solo adventure? One of the first ones I recall is taking my quite long 18 foot six Jensen solo into the boundary waters. I actually ended up meeting people, but I was a day and a half in before they joined me. Um, I went in solo because my wife and kids uh, didn't want to, she, she, at the last minute, Karen didn't feel comfortable taking the little ones in. Mm-hmm. So, what were the- but uh, I guess I before that too, you know, I just, they don't stand out. It was just something you just did. Something you just did. I can remember when I was young and in scouts, I was part of a special wilderness training program. We were up in Northern Minnesota and they, there were these uh, folks who were teaching the course. And then there were, it was a small group of students. And they hiked us back into the bush. And I remember them dumping me. And this was, I forget, it was a two or three day long ordeal. And they were going to test us on many fronts of um, bushcraft and wilderness survival. And when they dumped me, I said, the first, first time was, um, when we come back, make sure you have a primitive shelter set and ready to go. And then they just disappeared into the woods. And I didn't know if that meant two hours, <laughs> two <laughs> days, <laughs> right? So I got to work on my shelter, which I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a simple lean-to. Um, it was end of summer, um, so school wasn't back in session. So I had you know, plenty of stuff to work with in the woods. But what stands out in my life is that night. When I finally laid down in that shelter, granted, I had lots and lots and lots of nights in the woods, but it was that alone. It was the independence, and I struggled with it mightily. (laughs) I mean, just soul-changing, right? I can remember it like it was yesterday, the sound of something off in the woods. I'm sure it was a squirrel, right? Prancing around in the woods after dark, but couldn't work through it. Well, I did work through it, but it was very, very difficult. I'm sure I didn't sleep much that night, but that day changed me. You know, once you can get past the mental side of that, um, Solo travel becomes pretty darn empowering. What's it like for you? Because I won't ask your age, but you're older than I am, and you still love solo travel. What is it for you? Well, I'll be 66. You didn't have to ask. But <laughs> so that's aggressive of me. <laughs> but at that age... Right, a lot of people in this world say, "Ah, no, done, too, too much risk." But what is it for you? Why do you like it? And 
it's 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 a love hate relationship. You know, I like traveling solo in a canoe. I like being around people. There's a certain amount of security blanket in that. <clears throat> so, you know, traveling with people is nice, but uh, sometimes you just need to take an adventure where you can't convince anyone that, or don't want to try to convince anyone that they should go with you. Um, is it because you like being alone? Is it because you like the challenge of being self-sufficient? I'd say, I'd say it's the challenge of making sure that you can do it yourself. I, you know, it's something that you don't start out doing. Um, I mean, safe, safety wise, you know, start doing this stuff in a group setting, you know, and then work yourself once you've developed skills and understanding of what's being happening around you so that you can do things safely. You know, you're, you're being dropped off without the knowledge of how long you're going to be there. Sounds, I, I had a big smile and was kind of chuckling to myself when you're talking about it. Because my experience at 15 was we had been canoeing for 10 days or so. And we knew that this time of solo was coming up, which was popular back in the early 70s, late 60s, of being dropped off and spending time alone for, in my case, it was three days. And that first night is, like you said, the squirrel in the woods. For me, it was a beaver that slapped its tail, had the hair on the back of my neck standing up. <laughs> but uh, where was that trip? That was we did a big loop up in Quetico, and we were on uh, just off, just up from Basswood on Crooked Lake, being on the Canadian side, and I was dropped off for three days at fifteen, mm-hmm. and uh, three matches. And a metal canteen, half canteen cup, mosquito head net, and a poncho. Um, and I would say what's amazing, amazing about that, Dan, you, you talk about this trip you're thinking about this year in Alaska. That's going to be more than a month. But when you're 15 years old or you're new to the solo process, three days in many ways feels the same, right? Yeah, you know, added in, you know, we were stationary for the three days, but for this trip, it's 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 different, and it's doing something I haven't done before, which is pack rafting, um, walking, you know, the backpacking up to a mountain pass and crossing over the mountain pass. I've backpacked in mountains before off trail. At least there was a trail marked on the map, but there wasn't a tread like you see in the United States down in Chile, right way down at the southern tip, you know. Um, so just wandering off, you know, where there's no trail markers or you're not going to see anyone. If you see anyone, it's going to scare you, I'm sure. <laughs> like, what, what's that other person doing here? They're supposed to be here. What do they want? <laughs> so. You know, and then there's with Alaska where we're going, where I'm going, 
there's the added danger of a grizzly bear. Minnesota is very benign. There's nothing out that really hurts you. Um, you know, but with the grizzly bears and black bears that are in Alaska, sometimes they become predatory where you, you're on their food chain. Uh, and so you're that's in their thing. backyard. They're not in yours. Yeah, I'm crossing through their yard. <laughs> Hopefully not their kitchen. <laughs> All right. So I want to thank a couple of sponsors, but when we get through that, I want to talk about planning. What are okay. the key things when you start thinking about a solo trip? And it's widely the same, whether you're talking about a couple days off the grid in the boundary waters or going to Katsaboo, you know, through remote parts of Alaska. Dan Cook is my guest today. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods, and you are listening to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. And we have a bunch of sponsors who help us uh, get these episodes to you each week. First off, we would like to thank Hewitt Docks. Hewitt Docks Lifts and Pontoon Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Another of our great sponsors is Thousand Hills Lifetime Graze Beef. You know, um, I make a career talking about clean water and native habitat, and that's exactly why I am such a fan of Thousand Hills Lifetime Graze Beef. It is locally raised beef done differently. You see, Thousand Hills uses what is called regenerative agriculture to raise their cattle. Those are beef cows that graze in fields of wild grasses, and they move between these different fields of grass. It is a sustainable ecosystem free of synthetic fertilizers and chemical herbicides. It is a system of agriculture that promotes things like clean water, natural grasses, and yes, the best beef you've tasted. Of course, the Shirk family, my wife and sons love grilling and smoking and we now cook with Thousand Hills Lifetime Graze Beef. Believe me, the Shirk boys so look forward to those meals. It is beef raised the right way. Check out Thousand Hills Lifetime Graze to understand the regenerative agricultural practices and fall in love with Thousand Hills Beef. All right, Dan. Um, so much of solo travel and part of the fun is the planning process. Um, it is widely a game of managing risk. Talk about that. When you start to look at an adventure, what's your checklist? What are you working on? I kind of break it down into uh, eating, sleeping, travel, and you go from there. You know, you, you start with the map and figure out what you want to do. You know, what your route is, what you'll be encountering. 
and then break down, you know, an equipment list in both, you know, what you need to eat, what you need to sleep, what you need to travel. And subset is the clothes, but your map, how you're going to navigate, you know, right now we have so many maps available online. There's GPS units with maps downloaded, you know, you can do, you can make your own maps ahead of time and download them into your GPS device. There's satellite communicators such as, you know, InReach or Garmin and uh, Spot uh, where you can message out and get assistance if necessary or just message out that says, hey, I'm okay. And it leaves a little pinpoint on a map where you're at and people can see where you're at and follow your progress. Yeah, I feel like that technology has really changed the game, right? There used to be risk. As soon as I went out alone with the world not knowing where or why or how, right, you have a certain mindset. But now, you know, when I got married... Katie was very clear that she wanted to be able to communicate wherever on the planet I might be. And in the old days, I was like, oh, bummer. Cell phones don't work here. I'll call you when we're back on the grid, right? But these little satellite receivers changed all that. And I had a Garmin in reach, which worked really well. Now I have a spot unit. But the point being, they can check on me. Anytime, anywhere. They can see where I am at all times. And I can always communicate. And right or wrong, I do communicate. Even if it's just at the end of the day when I'm tucking into the sleeping bag to just say, hello, how's everyone doing? And it's it has changed um, my mental state in solo travel. Yeah, I've never used one to date. I've had people that I've been on group trips with where they have them. And uh, there's pluses and minuses to it because, I mean, you can sour on a trip and choose to walk away. You can cop out, yeah, instead of problem solving. Um, you know, for whatever reason. Um but, uh, you know, this last summer, I was paddling solo with uh, a family, the Paulsons, Bear, Claire, and Dashwa, a little three-year-old, down the, uh, soon to be three, uh, down the Noatak River in Alaska. But every night, my son would get a text message, we're okay, and a little pinpoint on a map. Uh, I never did anything. You know, Claire did it all. Uh, but it was this tie back to civilization and for you for your psyche is that a good thing or is that not so good has it taken some of the excitement of solo travel away we'll see you know in the evenings typically is when you send out you know i'm okay you know here's where i'm at and it's just going to be a pre-recorded message unless for something goes wrong or something um, where I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time 
thinking about the message or trying to catch up because when I leave, you know, I, I, when I leave to go on a trip, even in the boundaries, I turn my cell phone off when I leave the driveway and I don't turn it back on till I'm back on 61 heading back home. Um, well, there's nothing I know why you never respond to my calls. <laughs> um, makes me feel you know, a little better <laughs> when I'm on a trip. I want to be on the trip. I don't want to be, you know, thinking, well, if I was home, I could solve that, this, that, or the other thing, or think I can solve it. <laughs> what so, about the safety concerns of solo travel and planning? Because again, it's all risk reward, right? Am I yeah. going to cross this range or are those rocks a little too steep for one person, right? Well, I, I've been able to look at the topographical maps in this area and the program I'm using, um, you know, you can literally see it. You can switch between topo maps and satellite imagery. And so there's ways to um, snake your way around steep parts and stuff. So it may take you longer. Uh, you'll have to find your own way. You know, there's no very clear way where if you go this way, it's, you know, you're not going to run into a 10 foot cliff or something that could easily disappear. Um, First aid kit. Is it any different when you travel solo versus with others? No, the best first aid kit is common sense and avoiding risks <laughs> or avoiding the problem to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, once, once you've hurt yourself, you know, you, you've blown your, your first aid, if you will. Um, you're, you're to the point where you're patching up, you know, the most risky thing is, you know, turning an ankle or something like that, you know, jamming up a knee, you know, while you're hiking, where you step on something and it moves and all of a sudden you've twisted an ankle, jammed a knee. You know, I use hiking uh, poles when I'm hiking to try to avoid, you know, those situations where your footing is in question. But uh, getting cut, you know, I don't bring a hatchet. I'm not going to bring a saw. I'll have a fixed blade for hopefully flaying fish on the lower portion. And, uh, there's, you know, paddling, you, I'll wear a PFD. It's a promise I made when I was, when Karen was still with us that, uh, I'd wear a PFD so that if I did drown, people could find me and they wouldn't spend time looking for me, uh, that at least be on the surface. Uh, so I try to avoid risk right from the get-go and just try to do things safely. You know, having traveled a bunch in the woods in many different situations, you know, makes it a little bit easier where you can foresee um, what risks you're taking. You can understand them. You know, I've taken horseback trips, canoe trips, kayaking, backpacking, on and off trail. Um, 
And it just opens your eyes more to just traveling safely. Are there any pieces of equipment that you keep with you that is, you know, a must-have when you're alone? Trying to think. Um, A knife and a fire starter, typically. Just having Uh, a backup plan. You know, just especially in the winter, you know, having something to start a fire, something where I know that I can just, you know, good footwear and a heavyweight jacket and a lightweight tarp, something where if need be, I can just sit and uh, collect my wits and figure out course of action. The worst thing you can do is frantically try to resolve things without having thought things through. That's usually when people make the mistake of, well, if I just leave my stuff here and I go right over there, I'll get help. And all of a sudden they don't get all the way to where they were thinking and they're left with nothing. And, and that for me, Dan is training, right? You have to be educated. You have to be empowered with knowledge, uh, for solo travel. Um, and, th- and that might sound a little bit like, <laughs> you know, cheap talk, but it is so true. We were just talking. I was on the river. I had a couple of guys out fishing the Mississippi river the other day. We were February wading in the water, catching bass. And I was talking about one of the very first stories I covered as a news guy. Um, there were three young men that went up to gooseberry falls very early in the spring. They went back in, and I remember the story, for a day hike. Yep. And somehow they got lost. And one of the three was pretty good in the woods. So he got a fire going. He left the two, said, I'm going to go get out, get us some help so we can all get out of here. Don't move. So he gets out, and it took like a day. Pretty soon, the search is on for these two others, and everything that could go wrong with those two went wrong, right? They left fire. They started moving around. They separated. Eventually, one of them succumbed to hypothermia. Um, The other one, as I was too close to the story covering it as a young journalist, was hiding under a pine tree in a snow pit with hypothermia, literally hiding from the people who are trying to save him. But the point being, I look back at that story. I was so frustrated covering it because with knowledge, that situation would have been avoided. And that's yeah, one of 10,000 stories, right? It's That was a tragic, tragic story. I mean, you know, when you look back at that, you know, if they just would have went downhill, they would have hit 61. And they couldn't do it. You know, but taking the time to sit down and think things through and understand, understand your surroundings. So you're lost. Okay. I've been lost within 200 yards of the cabin I was living in. Um, I know what it's like to be lost. Luckily, I knew that if I waited long enough, it took me 20, 25 minutes and a car drove by on the gunflint 
so I could orientate to myself to where I was. But if I just wandered, um, I could just be frustrated and all sweated up and approaching that hypothermia thing or heading that way. But just being calm and realizing time will work out if I don't be frantic about this. Yes. Which is why solo travel is such a mental game. And it goes back to me and the little squirrel in the woods, right? Two very different moments, but the sensations are the same. If you've ever been lost, and I have been, it is frantic. It's not scary. It's not unnerving. It is frantic. That's the first thing that happens. Your your mind just starts racing of, I need to get unlost. Yep. And, and you do whatever you can to get unlost, which is just a bunch of activity rather than to sit down and to think through where have I been? How can I figure out where I am? How soon do I need you know, how fran- How soon do I need to get unlost, really? Um, because the immediacy of becoming unlost is like a neon sign flashing in front of you. Uh, and you just need to put that out of your mind and think about, okay, how do I get unlost, you know, and take the frantic out of it. And often that means just sitting down. Stop. Don't do a thing. Sit down. Stop. Um, I want to talk about my most important, I guess, piece of advice for solo travel. But first, um, we need to thank just a few more sponsors that help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen. Up first, our good friends at Starbank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. I also want to recognize Connecticut. You know, the Shirks love Connecticut water. It's no secret. Have for many years. We live out in the country and we have that ironclad well water. Well, we treat all of our water with the Connecticut Whole Home Water Treatment System. And we also use Connecticut's K5 drinking water system. That buildup, that white buildup you get around faucets, nope, we've got none of that. Our dishes are clean. Katie loves what Connecticut water does for her hair and skin. And the boys drink water out of the K5 system all day long. The best part to me, the well water taste and foul smell, they are gone. So. Call Connecticut like we did and look forward to clean, safe water. Also, we'd like to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. The Sheriff family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? 
Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. All right, Dan Cook is my guest today. Dan and I have uh, had some really fun trips in the woods. Um, Dan has traveled, you might say, all over the world. Um, he's done it in canoes. He's done it in hiking boots. He's done it in backcountry skis. And we are talking about solo travel, risk reward. Um, it is one of the most amazing things you can do as an individual. And at times it can be one of the scariest. And, and before the break there, we were talking about um, just communication and handling risk. It, do you have one piece of advice, if somebody is going to decide to travel solo, especially go off the grid, one thing you tell people, do this or else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have one piece of advice. You know, everyone's adventure is their own. Um, the main thing, I guess, is have enough knowledge about traveling as a group first, you know, just get a sense of you need to know how to be in the woods with groups and to be self-sufficient within the group it's before you go out on your own. When you go out on your own, you'll then understand what it takes to start the stove, put up the tent, uh, if you use a tent, um, what it takes to travel, you know, your method of travel, whether it's hiking or canoeing or kayaking, um, map reading skills. Um, I guess the big thing is just to know your equipment and what you have and, and to have a solid plan as far as uh, maps, a backup to your GPS satellite communicator, because if they go out and you're relying upon them and you don't have a hard map, you're lost. Um, yes, everyone, every single person who chooses to do this, I don't care what sort of technology you have, you should have at least two backup maps, waterproof or in bags, and you should also have a dang compass, <laughs> whether you know how to use it or not. <laughs> but have, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully you know how to use it, because if you use your compass, you know, uh, with a big belt buckle or a big old sheath knife on your side and you're holding the compass by it, all of a sudden your compass is telling you the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. For me, one piece of advice, if you're going to do something solo, I don't care if it's going off into a state park, the Boundary Waters, or, heck, the Kazan River, have a travel plan and let people know what the plan is. Start date, end date, where, contact information, just all that information. Now, granted, these satellite systems now, you know, my spot, if I tweak a knee and I go down and I can't move, I can peel the little protective gasket back and hit the SOS button and that you know, communicates with the satellite that gets to the emergency folks and they're going to be coming for me. 
But who knows? You might drop that thing. The batteries might die. Uh, might fall out of a canoe somehow, right? Like, so having a travel plan and letting the loved ones around you know what those plans are and, you know, what your drop dead times are can mean life or death. Yeah. And, you know, if you lose the device and you're unable to communicate with people, um, people are going to be worried about you and they may start the search and you may be just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there needs to be that understanding of the people that you're communicating with back at home that if you don't hear from me every night, don't assume the worst. <laughs> don't send in the Mounties just because you don't hear from me in a day or two. Um, you know, there may be a reason, you know, water gets in and destroys the battery. You know, they're just, we rely too much on technology to be that uh, safety link. Yes. In some regards. Which is why I like being able to tell my wife, all right, we should be out by noon on the 21st. If you haven't heard from me by the following morning at 9 a.m., maybe it's worth a phone call. I hope that phone call never happens. Yep. I really do. Well, I can't wait to see what comes up uh, with this epic trip you're talking about in Alaska. Um, Meantime, I'm excited. I'll have the polk sled and I'll be lumbering through the boundary waters in a couple of days off to a quiet lake. Um, Sounds like they're getting some snow up there today. Uh, So maybe we'll be lucky and land fresh tracks into a destination to nowhere. And um, I love, I love relying on my own self for these types of trips. Doesn't matter what conditions are in the woods between lakes. I'm going to be able to get through. I'm going to have a sleep system. So if it drops to 80 below zero, I'm confident and I like the challenge. For me, this trip, I think the biggest challenge is going to be having to provide enough firewood (laughs) for myself (laughs) to stay comfortably warm and keep a smile on my face. And that's all good, right? Well, Try it without fire. It uh, Then you really know if you can win or camp, if you can do it without a fire. See, and that's where I've gone soft, right? We've talked about this over the years because growing up, we were always cold campers. That's the only way I learned to camp. If you got to the point where you could, you know, build a bonfire and a fire pit in a campsite that had, you know, three feet of snow in it, you were in a really good place, but it became really the winter stuff was a game of managing moisture. Yep. Now we've got all this high technology stuff, tents and stoves and these specialized sleeping bags. And I won't say it's easy, but there's a lot of really good gear out there that makes time in the woods fun. Dan, yeah, I sure do appreciate it. Um, I keep thinking that next week at some point I'm going to be 
<laughs> walking on the edge of a lake or skiing on the edge of a lake. And here's going to be this white bearded guy that just pops out of nowhere in his patented red coat. Where'd he come yeah. from? Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened before. Oh yeah. Well, good luck in the planning and thanks for the advice. And, uh, it's time for me to go home and start packing. You have been listening to the Minnesota Bound podcast. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. My guest today, Dan Cook, explorer extraordinaire and proprietor of Cook Custom Sewing. Hey, I want to thank all the sponsors that help make the podcast happen each week. Um, Minnesota Bound, presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. My family uses Connecticut. I think yours should too. Also, Hewitt Docks. Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef. Tasty beef raised the right way. Star Bank, the bank we use at Ron Share Productions. And also the Minnesota Propane Association. Until next time, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. We'll see you.